I'm Jamie from E S S G A C K. That I got. Tim Hutchinson. All right, another post-show, pre-show here, and Stacy Eddie is joining us. Hello. It just wouldn't be the same without her. No, it wouldn't. She adds too much pizzazz. You've left her deaf. I don't know. Can, can you I, hear now? Can can you can you hear me? Can you hear? I can hear you. I can hear you. Can you it's hear? Just faint. Yeah, I got it. It's just faint. Yeah. I don't want to blow her eardrums out. Okay. <laughs> is that better? Yeah. We'll go with it. Should it be these? No, it should be those. We're good. We're good. <laughs> now I have to start again, aren't we? No, we're leaving it. Really? <laughs> yeah, we'll just leave it. I'll just keep turning it up until she says, whoa. Wow. No. Nothing. No. Nothing? Nothing? Wow, that is all the way. I guess try the other headphones. Okay. Stacy? That definitely is nothing. Really? Stacy. I mean, I can hear it. How's that? Oh. Oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Got it. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was my fault. Never. Turn, turn the right knob on. <laughs> <laughs> Helps, but yes. it's okay. Well, Stacy passed her hearing test that we just yes. conducted. <laughs> I'm on. She is on. She's back. Awesome. Cool. And I don't know where to go from there. <laughs> well, my brain initially went to Stacy's big news this week. Big news. Because Stacy also studied um, radio oh, yes. Yes. Okay. and broadcasting in college. And <clears throat> yeah, so my son's thinking maybe, maybe that's what he wants to do. So maybe he should join us for one of these podcasts oh, he should. and get his feet wet. And maybe he'd know the right knob to turn. Right. <laughs> he would probably do the same thing to his mother and crank it up and go, whoa. That's right. He did uh, practice his speech for us last night for his um, public speaking class that he's taking. And, you know, once upon a time I was a speech teacher and... um it was a fascinating life. A little, little hard to, to just encourage because he definitely didn't want to hear my instruction. He just kept saying, that's not what we were taught. That's not what she said. That's not what we're doing. Okay. <laughs> well, now I'm intrigued because you were a PE teacher at one time? No. Yeah, one year, yeah. One year? Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, those kindergartners were so cute. <laughs> And now you're talking, you were a speech? Speech? Yes. Not like in a big public school or anything. It was more of a homeschool co-op class. But, and then I coached forensics. Yeah. So that counts. Remember that? Sometimes it's hardest to hear from our parents, though. Yeah, that's true. What do they know? Yeah, what do they know? <laughs> They know more now than they did when I was 17. What do do we know? (laughs) What do we know? I mean, I only went to college for it, but what do I know? (laughs) So that was an exciting milestone for you. It was. It was. He had some great information in his speech and then just thinking about him possibly doing radio and he's a sports guy. So he's like, maybe I could broadcast sports. Yeah. Why Mm. not? 
And he's he also, following his passion. He also has fun at unicorn parties. He's an amazing <laughs> unicorn karaoke dance party participant. We told him that maybe he could be a birthday party entertainer <laughs> for 10-year-olds. <laughs> he could be hired out to come and give piggyback rides. <laughs> And this was your daughter's party we're yes. talking about here. Yes. So it, it was, was all in the cute. family there. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> anyway, this is kind of it's kind of a strange topic and for our <laughs> post-show, pre-show. <laughs> Jamie! Yes! Tell us about you. Do you want to hear about... Um, you had an exciting weekend. I did. I did. I'm in Firefighter 1, random fact, and I got to do a search and rescue. Um, so I was in a smokehouse all day and we had multiple scenarios we had to work through. And I can tell you that my knees are still banged up and my blisters popped during the exercises on my knees because we were crawling hands all over the place. It was extremely challenging and yet so awesome. I can't even describe it. <laughs> That's very cool. Such yes. a confidence builder. It's what we talk about at work where we just really get hands on experience that really builds the confidence. And I not only have confidence in my skills, do I have things to work on? Absolutely. But I have a lot more confidence in my firefighting teammates. So it was great team building. Awesome. And just a little, little, um, background, the college here has a facility. Oh, their fire science program. Amazing is- facility premier yeah it really we actually go in and they fill the place with smoke mm-hmm. and you gotta go find stuff and do it's non-toxic stuff, so. but it does get very 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 slick on the floor is it hot um no it's it's like a room temperature but you're you're really hot because you're in confined spaces crawling through holes but they they don't crank it up heat wise or anything but and you're you hot because you're in full ppe and you have all your bunker gear on and everything. And so. a CBA and the masks that are hot and confining. Yes. Yeah. So wow. very, very cool. I feel safer. Mm-hmm. I would go into a burning building right now and feel like. Now, you did not want done. to do that earlier before this. I no, remember. No, I was very active. You were all about like grass fires and stuff. Yeah. Fire so fires, you were fine. I was, yeah. But I remember you saying house fires you didn't want to do or yeah. structure fires. Well, and, and my guys kind of said, Jamie, you're going to be the last girl to go in there. Um, well, because they're they're all like my big brothers. The, the fire departments are a brotherhood or a sisterhood, but primarily it's a there's women in it, but it's we're few and far between. But it was also a confidence builder for me that another woman firefighter was one of the instructors. So she's married to a full-time firefighter. She was a firefighter for two years and she gave me some good feedback, some good tips, just some things that from her experience could really benefit me. And it made me feel so much better about things. Nice. And you have a kind of cool reason why you're doing this anyway. Yeah, I do. Because I grew up in a fire station because my dad was a volunteer fireman. And we would get to go to fire meeting and we would, I mean, I was around it a lot and I would, sometimes I ended up on scene with my dad, not able to do anything, but just in his fuel truck, some guys would bring his gear and they would meet him at the fire and dad would fight fire. And then I would just get to watch. I just, he said, Jamie, sit in the truck. Don't you leave? And I never did. But so my dad and my brother and I all serve on the same volunteer fire department. 
So it's, it's a family thing and we all have such a heart and a passion to serve that it, and it's, it's so, um, it's good for my heart because I'm a serving individual. Yeah. I was going to say, you can see the twinkle in yeah, your eye yeah. everything when she talks about it. Just to, it's <laughs> what I can give to the community. There's things I can't do, but this is something I can do. Nice. Okay. So anyways. Anyway life of jamie and stacy and we've been talking for about eight minutes now so we didn't talk about you me uh we had a few concerts this weekend a few concerts stuff. you zigzag the state <laughs> going to each of your did. kids things jake jake was very excited he had his first concert and it was cool to see him up on stage and being happy okay what is significant about jake's first concert he is in the he tried out and made the wind ensemble which is the top um concert band there at Fort Hayes State University. Wow. And this is after two years of laying off the clarinet. Nice. So I always thought the boy was talented and he picked it right back up and went for it. He's got a jazz concert coming up in November. He's excited about, which he plays saxophone. Kind of proud of that. <laughs> so he plays saxophone and clarinet. Yes. Wow. Yes. So impressive. He likes um, the woodwinds. Yeah. So then we went to Topeka. So we went from Hayes, came home, and then went to Topeka because KBA, it's the big marching band festival. Uh, Bueller came in third, which I always talk about Ricky Bobby when he says, if you ain't first, you're last. But yeah, that ain't true. They did. And got to talk to Mike Berblinger, the superintendent, this morning. He's at, a super individual. At the Seuss meeting, and he talked about it. And, you know, the bands they, I will say, lost to, they have multiple bands. <laughs> the, the ones they lost to, they were their competition, mm. you know, marching bands. And Bueller, they do it all. Yeah. You know, there's no audition for it or anything. You, It's the love of music. And uh, Eric Stanbaugh and Nathan Biggs, Ethan Wagner, and, oh, God, I miss Amy Krause. Um, so happy to have them in our Bueller district doing all that. So they did a, do a fantastic job with the kids and that was our weekend. Got to stay home Sunday, had a choir concert and, uh, Mr. Bontrager does. Or, no, I got to stay home it. that day, but I still <laughs> yes. got to go to a choir concert. Hmm. But yeah, I got, yeah. So that was our last one on Sunday and that was a great, some, best choir concert i've been to actually was it the grease one no it wasn't there was a grease one last week was it a different age group maybe was well the choir concert from the school from the school yeah on a sunday on a sunday hmm. sunday afternoon they had the they have part of the um setup already maybe that's what you saw i don't know maybe anyway here's uh, also in grease i'll be honest almost there was one song if they hadn't told the story, probably would have been okay. I about cried. <laughs> <laughs> it was very, very touching, very moving story anyway. Yeah. So very lucky to live in a community where music is that important mm -hmm. to a student, build the whole community. So we're at 11 minutes now. And as we're talking about community, <laughs> we're going to segue into our conversation with James Moffat and how important that is in our students' lives, our culture, as our, our entire school culture. Listen in. 
Well, episode 23 of Adventure Cast. I am at Obi-Wan Glenobi there on Twitter. And I'm Calamity Jamie H. And we are a couple of weeks since the moving to the moving the needle conference uh had a little well to a little bit to digest that and we thought we'd bring a friend from episode 15 of adventure cast james moffat in and he was a keynote speaker as well yeah i'm excited to be with you guys thanks for having me on great and just this morning you said you were visiting with some teachers about tell us about some of the subjects you talked about in your professional development this morning it was actually, it wasn't even PD. Like, so we do really? this thing on Wednesday morning. Yeah. We do this thing on Wednesday mornings and um, we have been really intentional about teaching kids about the brain. And so every Wednesday morning we have, we call them mixed groups and it's just a randomized group of kindergarten through fifth grade kids. Every teacher has a group of about 25 kids. And then we had a committee who started last school year and into the summer and we created like lesson plans for those Wednesday mornings. So it's not one more thing for the teacher to have to do. Like we created lesson plans for them. And during this 20 minutes, every Wednesday morning, we talk a lot about the brain. We throw in some growth mindset stuff that does tie back to the brain as well. We do some, um, we call them our power 12 guiding principles, basically character development. And we kind of talk about each of those topics. Sometimes we do like team building. Um, and so this Wednesday morning or this morning, I should say, our topic was the cerebrum. So we talked about the brain. We talked about the prefrontal cortex. Um, it was really neat to walk into different classrooms and see different teachers take the same lesson plans and kind of put their own spin on it. Um, and then also be cognizant of the group of students that they have, knowing that there's kindergartners through fifth grade in the same group, all needing the same information. So um, we have some posters that they, they each created kind of like a summary of what they learned and um, some of the highlights that I remember, you know, walking in and talking about how, you know, the cerebrum makes up 85% of your brain or the weight of the brain's weight. And that's where learning takes place. And I walked into one kindergarten classroom. It was really cool because, you know, we've been doing this for about four weeks now. And one of the things we touch on briefly every time is we talk about three different brain states, the survival state, the emotional state, and the executive state. And this teacher in the last three weeks has taught her kids already kind of like some symbols and some gestures that they do to help them remember what each of those states does. And so right when I walked in, um, she had them pointing at, you know, their, where their brainstem would be. And they said, this is the survival state. And then like, they talked about how that's where, where it keeps them safe. And it's really cool to see them like then take their hand and their finger and like go around their head. Cause it's almost like a helmet that keeps them safe. And then they taught, pointed to where the emotional state of your brain would be your limbic system. And they said, you know, this is where I, I, I feel loved and I feel connection. And then they pointed to their forehead and they talked about the cerebrum and the prefrontal cortex. And they said, this is where learning happens. And it was really cool to see them beginning to understand that. Oh, that's cool. I know Rebecca talks about the brain. When yeah. She does some of her speeches. Well, I was just reading an article this morning about using the body and motions and gestures to teach because it's another piece of connecting oh, yeah. the brain. <clears throat> Yeah, I was impressed with that piece. So on Friday morning, we have a whole school assembly. And so I'm going to talk about that at the whole school assembly on Friday. I made a mental note that I want to touch on that and let everybody see that learning that that one group saw. And I know lots of different groups learned it different ways, but I thought that was a really cool way to kind of bring all of our learning back together and get us all on the same page. Wow. So this, this movement, James, um, like what the moving the needle is, is covering, um, your experience, is this 
unique to Kansas? Is this going on all over? And should it, should it be going on all over? I'll answer that question first. It definitely should be going on all over. Um, I'm fortunate enough to go out and speak other places and attend conferences other places. And I will say, like, I feel like Kansas is ahead of the ahead of the game in this area. Um, and I, I credit Dr. Watson on a lot of that. You know, they look at his his vision for our state and that number one vision being social emotional learning. And I go out and I talk to other people about that's the number one goal of our state uh, when it comes to education. And they're like in awe. They're in shock because they're they're not there yet. And I appreciate that. I feel like we're really trying to be proactive with this. Whereas when I go visit other places, I feel like they're very reactive. Like they have a crisis or something goes wrong and they're trying to scramble and, and, and fix things or make things work. But I like that it's, you know, at the forefront of our minds and it's something I feel like, like I said, we're very proactive with. And I see lots of schools trying to integrate, you know, trauma informed practices and integrate learning about the brain and integrate like all those different things in the, to their curricular day which um, I think it's a great thing. And I think it's a great thing for kids because one of the things I talk a lot about in presentations is, you know, when we, when we characterize a successful adult and it's funny cause I'll go and I'll do this presentation and I'll say, you know, work in your table group or work in a small group and come up with 10 characteristics of a successful adult. And I've done that. I probably got thousands and thousands of responses from people. And I think I can count maybe twice where somebody has specifically said like reading or math. Everything else that they say is related to some soft skills. So I hear a lot of perseverance and grit. I hear about being kind. I hear about being happy. I hear about being employed. And I hear all these soft skills. And that goes back to what Dr. Watson did when they, he tells that story all the time about getting in that car and driving all over the state and asking people, you know, what makes a successful Kansan. And, um, and so I think because as educators, and that's the funny part, and, and it's ironic at the same time, if educators can get in the room and talk about what characterizes a successful adult and even educators aren't saying reading, writing, math, science, social studies, that kind of tells you that as we work to meet our, our vision and our mission of schools, which is making successful adults, like it's not, we don't get to successful adulthood just by focusing on academics. You're there's, absolutely there's right. Much, yeah. There's so much more we have to focus on. And like, I think that's this to me being trauma informed really encompasses all those other things. And I, and I feel like once you get that, all those other things tie in nicely to the academics. But I just feel like we've been for a long time taking the wrong route. And one of the things that, that's really been on my mind a lot lately is, you know, the way to increase academic data isn't through longer and harder assignments. Like that's not the way to get there. The way to get to improved, you know, academic success is through improved relationships with kids and all those soft skills and all those, you know, the, the care and concern and the compassion would allow us to get to stronger relationships with kids. You, you also said something interesting in your keynote. Uh, you were talking about poverty and trauma informed. Uh, you know what I'm yeah. getting at? I remember that. And so one of the things, you know, and I, 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 you know, I'm all, I'm 110% in on this trauma informed journey. I get it and I understand it. But what my fear is at this point is there's lots of distinction about, oh, that's for these kids over there, it's for those kids over there. It's not for all. And, but I strongly believe this is for all kids, all kids. And I said, you know, if I could change any one thing about this trauma informed journey, I would take the word trauma out because for so many people, they hear that word and they automatically link to poverty. And there's some very affluent kids and some very middle-class kids and some kids from poverty who've experienced some very traumatic things in their life. 
And if you look back at the original ACEs study, that was like 17,000 people. And that population was 70% Caucasian, 70% college educated. So it's not just about kids who struggle or kids from single parent homes or kids who um, live in, in trailer parks. It's not about that. This is about all kids and what they've all experienced. It's all about the whole child. Yeah, yeah. Whole individual child. Because I agree. Some of us have a background where we were, we all have trauma. We all have severe trauma, but it's, it's, it it is not a demographic. And that was one of the discussions that we had in our last staff meeting, even. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. We're going, no, it's all kids. All yeah. kids are going through. And I think it's, we're slowly getting there. Or, and, but I know like even for us and at our school, that is, I mean, we pretty much match the demographics of that original ACES study where we're 70% Caucasian, 70% college educated. Like when we started this, we had teachers who just unaware or, or they, they had made the assumption that this was for those kids. This wasn't for our school. And um, even when I met with my kindergarten teachers last week after conferences, like they came in afterwards and they just looked like beat down. And I said, man, what, what's going on? Like, how, how were your conferences? And they said, the conferences were great. Like we had great interaction with parents and we love our kids, but just in having conversation with some of our parents and hearing lots of the stuff that our, our, our students have endured, like that, that was, it, it takes a lot out of you. So again, that, that really just echoed the sentiment, but this isn't just about these kids or those kids over there. This is about all kids. And you're right. It's about the whole child. It, it truly is about the whole child. So how do you manage, because you want your students and your staff to all be able to manage self-care and have Mm -hmm. some mindfulness activities. What are some of the the things you do or some of your practices or things that you've seen that you want to try? Um, I think, you know, this, this Wednesday morning thing, I think this is important because I think it's as we get deeper in, into the school year and we talk more about different and various parts of the brain, I need students and staff as well to begin to truly understand what's happening in their brain when they're upset, when they're happy, when they're whatever it is, whatever emotion they're feeling. And especially, you know, we talk about the survival state of your brain and like teachers, especially like when you have kids and you will have kids that come in and that's where they are. I mean, unfortunately, I mean, that's where they live, unfortunately, sometimes and getting us all to understand that, like in that moment where I'm in my survival state, like one learning isn't the number one priority that that I have going on right then. And two, like from a brain approach, like I can't even attempt to learn when I'm there. And so just having that understanding and and kids to get that understanding as well. Um, Mindfulness is another one. Like we really try to make sure mindfulness is happening every day in every classroom. But even just like with the other research that's out there that talks about, you know, we we spend a lot of time this year, especially talking about instructional blocks of time. And one of the things that we can do for kids that will do us a, a, a service as well is even though I have an hour block of math instruction, like it's unfair for me to expect that any kid in my class, I don't care how old you are, is going to sit and get for an hour of straight instruction. Like they're, they're going to tune you out at some point. And so we've talked about, you know, what the research says, you know, for kindergarten through second grade, instructional block should be like six to eight minutes. That's it. And then, so we've been really trying to have that six to eight minutes and hit it hard in those six to eight minutes and then be willing to 
slow back down and take a brain break, do some team building, do some class building for even if it's just for two minutes and then come back with another six to eight minute block of instruction. Cause that, that's something that will help us in the long run. And then it, the, obviously that instructional block gets a little bit larger as they get older, but like even third through fifth grade, like that instructional block should only be like eight to 12 minutes before we need to take a break and do something different before we come back to learn. Are you finding you're having to have conversations, even though they were in, t- in teacher training and teacher ed when they were getting their degree, that they learn some things that they're having to unlearn? Yeah, uh, for sure. And um, that's one of my biggest pushes. And I, I would like to see how colleges and universities adapt their their programs to um, better suit the needs of the kids that we have today. Um, but one of the biggest ones that I talk a lot about was I remember vividly in my undergrad and my gra- my grad degree where they talked about, you know, behavior. They talked about how, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out why this behavior is occurring. So we're looking at, you know, what's the antecedent, what's the behavior, what's the consequence. And everything that I learned in school was, you know, that consequence has to happen as close to the behavior as possible or it's not going to be meaningful. And, th- and then when you really think about it from a, I don't know, common sense point of view, like, I don't want to have that conversation in the midst of escalation. So like that behavior just happened. And lots of times when that behavior happens, that kid might be in their survival state. Or they're in a heightened sense of something of escalation. And then they have a teacher who's trying to deal with that. And they're in a heightened sense of a sense of escalation as well. That's not the time to try and problem solve. Like there has to be a pause where we're both calm and we can make this a teachable moment. So we can come back and figure out, you know, this is why this happened. And then also problem solve for next time in this situation, what can I do differently? But that doesn't happen when I have escalated people together. And if you think about it, when you have two escalated people in a room trying to problem solve, how's that going to go for you? It's not going to go well. I just, in, that's in, Jamie in my and I head, uh, yeah, we just live there. <laughs> yeah. What we and often at these conferences, um, we hear the word regulate uh-huh. and you're telling me, and I haven't thought about it this way, but the student is not regulated. The staff is not regulated. So that creates another. Yeah, because even if I'm regulated and I go into a situation with somebody who's dysregulated, I can easily become dysregulated. And so it's not always about just the, I mean, as a staff member, I can go and regulate it and have the best intentions to help a student problem solve. But if that student's not regulated, they're not receiving what I'm putting out there. So how do you know how to one have a do the right thing or with the staff member and the student? Cause they may both need maybe different things. Yeah. Um, so one of the things, you know, we use zones of regulations to help us identify feelings. And um, one of the other things we, and we talk about that in morning announcements, but one of the other things we do every morning in announcements is we do some type of deep breathing exercise. And we talk about how, what that does for us. And we teach probably like five or six that we routinely go to. And it's really cool to begin to see students doing those things on their own. Like I was in a kindergarten classroom last week and this kid was standing by himself as they're doing rotations and they're were, they were switching their stations. And I watched him do a zipper, a zipper breath all by himself. Like wasn't prompted, wasn't like he was all by himself over across the room and just did like two zipper breaths on his own. And he went to his next station. That is education. Say what? I said, that is education. Yeah. And, you know, so like, it's cool to see that. So I think, you know, the more we expose them to, and and a part of it is being transparent. So like when I do morning announcements, I'll tell them, Hey, this is what zone I'm in. 
I'm in the Mr. Moppet's in the blue because I stayed up too late working on something or I I'm in the yellow because I have a lot going on and I'm kind of anxious about it. And when we do those deep breathing exercises, I'll say like, we're going to do a deep breathing exercise to help us all calm down so we can be ready to learn. And so when we're transparent and they hear us saying that language, like hopefully that rubs off on them. And I have some friends, you know, second, third grade who have been with us for a couple of years now. And it's one of them. It's funny to see him come in when he's frustrated and he'll tell me up front because he's been trained and he knows. He'll say, I'm not ready to talk right now. I'm in the red. I'm in the yellow. I'm not ready. And, and I, it's, and then for the adult, you have to be able to say, okay. And because I think sometimes the frustration is as the adult, like we have so many things on our list of things to do that we want to force a conversation so we can get done and we can move on. But at the same time, that's not effective. As you mentioned staff and being an administrator yourself, I wonder how important is it going to be? Because at at the conference, it was mostly teachers, administrators. Mm -hmm. And some social workers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, some we'll talk about community (laughs) a little bit. But the school staff, how important is it going to be to get the entire staff? I'm talking secretaries, custodians, everybody involved in this. That's kind of a twofold question for me. One, I think it's very important. Like, it, this isn't just a teacher thing. This is a certified teacher thing. This is a classified staff thing. I mean, like our secretaries, I feel like, you know, they're the first face that people see when they come in. And so sometimes it's not enough just to have a smile on your face. Sometimes it's, you have to have some strategies in their back pocket as well. Like, cause there are going to be times when they get escalated or they get frustrated or they're dealing with escalated, frustrated people. So how do I approach this situation? Not to make it worse, but to help um, make this situation better. Um, our, 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 even our custodian, like our custodian, one of the things they do every week is um, they have a morning duty. Like she's at the front door, like one, one morning a week and she's greeting students as they come in. So it's about making sure that everybody feels connected. Everybody feels appreciated. Um, You know, what's out there right now. We talk about everybody needs one caring adult. Well, I don't know who that one caring adult's going to be. So I feel like we need to have exposure to every adult in our building. So every kid can find their one caring adult. And Jamie kind of touched on it. That was great, by the way. I like that custodian at the front door that one day a week. That's awesome. <laughs> but Jamie touched on it. Uh, we had some social workers and people at, at the conference. How do we get more community in? Business people, stuff like that. Because we had some restorative justice people there. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and really building that and bridging the relationships in to see that we all have a common goal. We've always had a common goal, but we haven't known how to achieve it. And now we're, seems like we're on the right path of doing that. I think so. And I think, you know, this goes right back to what our state's doing as far as civic civic engagement. Like, you know, how can I, and rather than waiting on businesses and, and groups to come in and see us and how they can help us, like, are we willing to go out and approach them and say, you know, like, like one of the, we have a really good partnership with Chick-fil-A. And like one thing I always say, when I think about Chick-fil-A, like I think about customer service. That, that's the one thing that food's amazing, but like the customer service piece, like that's just, that's absolutely incredible to me. And so we've gone out to Chick-fil-A and we said, hey, come in and we, I want to hear your customer service approach. 
Like you guys have got that down. And as a school, we're a customer service business as well. Like even though we don't always consider ourselves that we are in the customer service business. Mm -hmm. And so we have to make sure our customers, which are students and parents, we have to make sure they're happy that they feel safe when they come in, they feel welcome. And so we're lucky that our, that Chick-fil-A in our town has come into us several times. We've actually gone to them for meetings sometimes. And he does this whole presentation about second mile service. And it's the exact same presentation that they do for their employees who they hire. And so one thing he says when it comes to second mile service, he says, you know what? Most people are willing to go the first mile to do what has to be done. But how many people are willing to go the second mile? And I mean, that stood out to me. And that's something we, we throw that term around a lot. Second mile service, second mile service. Like, you know, when a student comes in, like, yeah, I can check in and I can point in the right direction and say, hey, your class is that way. But the second mile service is, hey, I'm willing to walk you down there and get you there. Or when a parent comes in, like the first mile service is just signing them in, but the second mile service is signing them in, asking if there's anything we can help them with, asking if they need uh, a cup of coffee or do they need whatever they need. That's the second mile service that makes people want to come back. You got double head shakes and nods and going, (laughs) oh yeah, amen brother on that. And all it took was for you to go out and ask. Yeah. And they're, and they're willing to do it. That's the thing. They're very, they're, they're extremely willing to do that. That's awesome. <laughs> and do we have particular fondness we for Chick-fil-A? We do well. have a fondness for Chick-fil-A. <laughs> this is so funny because like Chick-fil-A came to Derby, I think it was my first year and I didn't, I didn't even like Chick-fil-A. I, it was something like they opened up in Wichita first. I remember seeing all those long lines for hours. I'm like, why is that a big deal? Like who cares? It's just chicken. But then I went and I think more than the food and the food is good, but more than the food, it was the customer service. I was like, this place is, amazing like and at the time like the owner operator of this one his kids went to school here so i mean that helped but like just every time i walk in and like it's a joke for me now like i try to see how many times i can get them to say my pleasure in, the, in a conversation <laughs> um, but yeah and it, it goes back to it i think it, when i look at them and when you think about the people they hire they have to hire the right people to be able to carry out that vision and so that also makes me think about um, how do I make sure I'm hiring the right teachers to carry out the vision that we have. That's a heavy task. Yeah, yeah. it is. So as we move forward with this, cause we'll have bridging the needle in April. the fall. April. April. Yep. Oh, the spring. <laughs> We're in the fall. I am just up. not here today. I'm sorry. He knows he said bridging the needle. He like yeah. combined the two <laughs> together. Bridging uh, to resilience. What I was trying to get needle. to is on our part, maybe for a breakout session, perhaps, do we need to go to these businesses and say, would you mind coming oh, in? That's a good point. That's a good idea. You know, and doing that. It's a good idea. Wow. Well, and Starbucks is another one that ha- always yep. has exemplary service. Yeah. Yeah. They have great coffee, but they first and foremost, you know that they're you're getting great service. So like oh probably like four years ago, we wrote we rewrote our vision and mission statements for our school. And as we sat down and think about like what do we want to include, like the first question was who are the people that we want to aspire to be like, or the businesses we want to be like? And so Starbucks is one that came up, Chick-fil-A came up, Target came up. And then we found ourselves going to their missions and looking at their mission statements and saying, Hey, I like this piece. I like this piece. I like this piece. We want to include these in ours. How can we take what they've already done because they're, they're experts at it. And how can we make it work for us? Hmm. Wow. That's nice. So one more, I have another question for you. Yep. 
what were some of your ahas or deep connections that you made at the conference, whether it be when you were speaking, a session you attended, or just a relationship you built? Oh, there's a a couple. Like, that was a rough, like, the keynote for me, I've never keynoted anything, so that was new. And, like, as I sat there trying to think about what I wanted to talk about, it ended up being some very personal things. And I will say, like, that was therapeutic for me, so that felt good in a sense. I don't know how else to say it, but, like, it felt good to kind of process that. And even though I was processing it publicly, it, it felt good to get that out. But I think for me, like, anytime you can be in the room with that many people who are, like-minded and on the same page as you that helps me and one and growing my p my professional learning network like i i grew that a lot just at that conference and connecting with people face to face for the first time that i've been talking to for a long time on twitter um but there were some relationship things that stood out i got this to go to laura um, gilchrist she did one on parent camps and it made me think a little bit differently about how can i bring more parents into our building in a different way and um there's a couple other sessions I went to that were like, wow, like stuff that, and I often find sometimes it's the simple things that you hear from somebody else that you kind of take for granted. Like I seem to be more intentional about some of the things we're already doing that get you to make a lot of progress. So how do you, how do we make, how does progress happen? Uh, one of my favorite phrases is what, what get monitored, what's, what gets monitored gets done. And so how can we be intentional about checking in on things to make sure, you know, and for us, we have a bunch of interventions in our building that um, I can either sit here and assume that they're getting done or I need to figure out a way to check to see that they're actually getting done. And so being present in the building, like, and one of the things we're working on right now is we're starting a peer um, observation cohort, some teachers who are willing to open up their classrooms and also go visit other classrooms and learn from their colleagues. Um, that's something. So just being present and then being present in other people's classrooms so they can pick up on some of the awesome things that are happening like down the hallway or in the other wing. Um, that's, that's a good thing, but I think more than anything, just being present. How do you manage being present at school and being present at conferences? It's tough. It's tough. And there are a couple of things. I have some people who are very honest with me. Like my secretary is one. There's a couple of teachers who will, they'll tell me they feel like I've been gone too much. They'll come and call me out on it, which is good. I need that. Um, and then I try like my intent at the beginning of the year. And it's crazy the way this movement just is, continues to spiral. And it's like snowballing. Like you get calls. Like I probably get two or three calls a week. And I, I'm getting to the point now where I have to be willing to say no, which is hard for me because I want to share the awesome things that are happening and because I feel like it's best for all kids and the more you share it, the more kids get it, but being willing to say no and um, try and be creative with the schedule. Like there's sometimes like we might be out of school, but somebody else isn't out of school. So I can go when I'm out of school. Um, So just trying to be creative about scheduling. And also like making sure there's a support system here when I'm not here. So like when I'm not here, like my secretaries will always have a protocol. Like this is the list to go down if something comes up and we need help. Nice. You have to, yeah, you have to have that support. Otherwise, you know, the stress it puts on you. Yeah. And in that conversation multiple times, the importance of you being transparent, your staff being transparent, mm-hmm. even at conferences being transparent, you want, yeah. that is the key to building relationships. Without a judgment level. Yeah. Yeah. 
You're right. And I mean, because like when there's that level of judgment, like you, you're going to not share. Yeah. Like, that's when you like, shut down and that's yes. when the kids shut down and the teacher yeah. and your teaching staff shuts down. You're right. You're right. And so being transparent, which is hard sometimes to be transparent when you put your mistakes and your whatever out there. Um, but I think we do a pretty good job here. Like we don't, I don't feel overly judged. Like I can share what I want to share. And like, I, if any, one of the things I appreciate about this school is like at any one point I can look out in the office and I'm going to see four or five teachers who are just out there because they, I mean, it's not even, they're just there building relationships with one another and just socializing with one another, which is great. Um, after school that you see people going out and doing things together, which is a nice thing on the weekends. Like, um, we're talking about doing a bonfire here coming up here in the next couple of weeks, just kind of a staff, like on a Saturday night, just have a bonfire. So trying to, nice. you know, relationships with kids are important, but the relationships with each other are just as important. Yes. Well, James, we've kept you for about 30 minutes now. Is there any last wrap up you'd like to put on the conference itself? No, I mean, it was just, it was an amazing conference and it took me about three or four days after that, just to kind of come off that high and, you know, get back into the grind of things. And for those of that were in attendance, you know, what, what I will say, it's easy to go to a conference and get pumped up and get excited and go back to your building and not do anything with it and get complacent again. So just, mm-hmm. I, I would say challenge yourself yes, not so to true. get to that point. <laughs> challenge yourself to actually do something with the knowledge that you learn. It doesn't have to be a huge first step. It could be baby steps along the way, but just don't let that high that you felt and the new things that you learn go to waste. Like find an accountability partner. If you have to, if there's somebody who went to the conference with you, like connect with them and say, Hey, like make sure check in with me weekly, check with me every other week to make sure that I'm taking some steps in the right direction. And then like be connected. Like if you're not on Twitter, hopefully you are, if you're seeing this or Facebook, like get connected and then grow your PLN. And one of the things I like to do is I like to go to the people that I follow and the people that I admire and I just go to their friends list and see who are they following. And I just start adding the people they're following because I figure, I figure like when I think about Jim sport leader, he's somebody that I really look up to. So if he's following somebody like that's somebody I want to follow, but I want to learn from like he does. Nice. Well, you just hit on my last thing. I was going to ask you if somebody wants to follow you, how can they do that? Oh, I'm Twitter. I am at D H E principal D H E for Derby Hills elementary principal. I can attest he's a great guy, folks. Just follow him on Twitter. He does some great stuff and he's easy to talk to. Just reach out. I posted some stuff this morning about our, about the cerebrum and all that. So if you want to see some of the posters that groups made, you can check that out. Awesome. Well, thanks for your time, James. Thank and, you, guys. Uh, as always, you can find us at esdeck.org forward slash your stories. We're on iTunes and we're also on Jamie's favorite. iHeartRadio. Until next time.